One of the great things about being a creative in um, the 21st century is that most things have been done already. There's a certain way of doing things. And once you understand the codes and conventions, then you can gain great traction by, by doing the opposite. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you are listening to episode 70 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is Richard Holman, and our topic is creativity, love, and the power of ideas. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. All we need is love. That's a famous lyric we've all heard before. But after love, what is it that we as human beings need most? Well, my guest today, Richard Holman, has a theory that what we need most after love is creativity. And I tend to agree with him. In part, this is why my mission on planet Earth, which I have chosen to accept, is to support and empower the creative entrepreneur because I believe the genius that you have is what the world needs. So this episode today, let's just say that Richard and I, we get on quite a groove talking about this topic of creativity, love, and the power of ideas. Now, Richard is an interesting soul because he comes from an agency and a bit of a TV network background. These days, he operates as I would say, sort of a coach, a speaker, an instigator. Uh, He's a creative soul that does workshops and shares thought leadership and teaches groups how to produce better creative. In fact, I'm trying to find how he says it in his own words, because what he really says is he teaches these masterclass sessions, which are developed to rejuvenate and inspire creative teams. So this might be an in-house team at a TV network, but it could also be an agency or a studio. I'd say maybe a production company like yours. But his masterclass is designed to enable creatives and designers to achieve creative excellence. So if you're a creative, I'm just guessing that sometimes you struggle with coming up with great ideas. So something common to all of us as creatives. And I guess the question is, what do you do when you get stuck? Right? Like, you know, great ideas are out there, but where do you find them? Well, that's one of the topics that Richard teaches. What about the art of a beautiful pitch? Do you have to pitch your ideas? Well, what makes a pitch more beautiful, more creative than the next one? What is a brand? What about the power of pictures? What about the power of words? Well, these are some of the topics that Richard speaks to. So I sat down with Richard here recently, a few weeks ago. He was at his home office in Wales. I was at, I believe, my home office here in the mountains of Colorado. And we had this really sort of intimate conversation. And it starts off a little bit lofty, a little bit woo-woo, philosophical about love and the power of ideas and what's the role of creativity. But then we get into some of this specific of where do ideas come from and how do we get better ones? So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Richard Holman. Richard, what time is it in Wales right now? Uh, It is uh, just 25 to 5 in the evening. So I've, I've dispatched my wife and children to the pub. I was going to say, it's about beer 30 uh, there. Do you have beer 30 yeah. in Wales? Uh, we, 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 we have five o'clock club in Wales, um, but... uh, which is where um, myself, uh, my, my, my local in-laws and um, a few friends sort of congregate in the Goose and Cuckoo pub. Well, thanks for, thanks for carving out some, uh, what, what I would normally think of as family or uh, weekend time to be on the Rev Thinking podcast. You're, you're very welcome. It's, it's a pleasure. I, I should be making up for it later on. <laughs> okay, good. Well, good. I'll, you have to send us some pictures so we can share it with our audience. When you actually, we got finished and you went and had some fun, we can see yes. what you're I, up to. I, I, I will share my pictures later on. Yeah. So I want to say, Richard, that I want to say you and I first got acquainted through your former business partner, Lucy, uh, when you were 
guys were running uh, Holman and Hunt, That's um, right, yeah. which was how long ago would that have been? Because I think I met her maybe three years ago. Um, but yeah. how, how long were you running that agency in London? Uh, we were we were running Holman and Hunt for about three years. We were mm-hmm. you know, working together. Um, and before that, I had an agency which um, I was running for about 12 years. Oh, for about 12 years. And what was the name of that agency? That agency was called Devilfish. Devilfish. And was it London-based also? It was London-based, yeah. yeah. All right. And was what was its focus? Because obviously Holman and Hunt was very much fo- focused on uh, sort of the broadcast and entertainment space. Yeah, it was it was the same focus. Um, it was it was the same focus, but it was um, it was bigger. At um, uh, the point at which I left, there were about twenty people there. So uh, okay. when I worked with Lucy, it was very much um, a, a streamlined operation, um, and that, that that was how we wanted to play it. Yes, yeah, so the boutique agency, I presume. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Now, before that, you spent you had a stint at BBC, so you spent a bit of your former life on the client side. Um, I, well, at the BBC, I was um, I, I, I was within the uh, within the client walls, but I, I was making um, the, I was making trailers there to begin with, um, and then by the time I left, I was writing their brand uh, at the BBC. So, still very much involved in the sort of um, in the marketing side. Yeah, sure. But what I like uh, about that is at least you have that perspective of what it's like to live on that side of the table and live in that world of. Uh, Shall we say the, cor- the corporate gig and working inside the big organization, trying to produce amazing content on a daily basis, right? C- correct. Yeah, <laughs> there are a few places bigger in the UK than, than the BBC. I think they have twenty three thousand employees um, all all over the UK. So um, fascinating. Yeah, it's a big operation. So tell me now. I'm curious. What's what's your current focus? All of that experience that you have now has led you up to this point. What's what's your focus these days? So my um, my focus really these days is on uh, inspiring people to have better ideas. I, I, I think if I was to, um, to 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 formulate it in a single sentence, so I see myself as a bit of a creative catalyst. Um, I think after love, creativity is maybe the most valuable thing we human beings have, and um, I've sort of I've got to a stage now in my career where. Um, I spent kind of a you know a lifetime working on ideas and trying to understand what makes a good idea and um, learning by success and by failure um, how to have ideas and so I, I, I try and share that um, that knowledge today um, and I do it by by writing and speaking and, and, and doing workshops and doing a little bit of podcasting. Well, um, yeah, we're fortunate enough to have you uh, spread the love uh, here with us today, and I, I love that idea you shared. Because there's something actually very profound about that, that you, I think you said after love, creativity is the most valuable thing we have. And I would have to agree, but I don't know if I've ever thought, it, thought of it in those terms. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I've done a project recently with ITV, so I, I still try and keep my, my hand in um, you know, the game a little. Um, so I've been working with ITV on their, their new brand identity. And the idea for um, that brand identity was to have, in, in the UK we have idents, which are little sort of logo animations um, for the programs. And the idea was to have a different artist make the ident every week. So we've got 52 different artists um, over the course of the year have been given a very, very open brief, which is that they have the ITV logo and they need to do something with it. Um, and it's it's been an amazing project to work on, um, for for various reasons. I mean, nobody's ever attempted to do something quite like this before. But to um, to spend time with artists um, from all over the UK and kind of all walks of life and all different perspectives, it's just a really heartening thing, you know. And uh, uh, we 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 are all brutally aware of of, of the divisions. Uh, I think in life at the moment and in society. And, and I think creativity has the capacity to bring people together. And I think television has the capacity to bring people together too. Um, uh, so um, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the sort of motivation, I think, for me doing what I do. Well, I, I mean, I find that quite uh, inspiring and really rather beautiful to understand a bit of your why, right? What makes you, what makes you tick. Um, yeah. it, and then on many levels, I can relate because as for me and even our mission at RevThink, 
we focus on this subset of not only creatives, but creative entrepreneurs. So yeah. for us, we feel our calling is how can we help empower and unleash these creative entrepreneurs to produce their best work for the world? Because I would agree that the world next to love <laughs> needs creativity yeah. desperately. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's very cool. I love that, that, that context. Um, so I, when I think of creativity and where we are in the world today, and even especially in the, uh, the world of entertainment brands and in television, the market has matured yeah. a lot. It's changed a lot. Oh. And some might say it's, uh, it's even getting dumbed down or it's, it's uninspired these days. Is that something that you would agree with or do you bump up against that? I do quite a lot of workshops with different uh, TV companies and entertainment brands. And, um, and I work with the creatives and designers. And uh, I, I have no doubt that the creative ability and the ambition uh, is, is, is any less than it, it has ever been. You know, pe people are still full of ideas and, and desperately keen to make really good work. But I think we've seen kind of tectonic shifts in the landscape of entertainment over yes. the last few years. Um, and the power balance has shifted. And, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Facebook and Google, all, all, all making content. Um, and nobody's really worked out the economics yet. You know, we used to have a system that, that, that with, with, with advertising and subscription that, that, that worked reasonably well, but the economics have changed. And this creates a culture of uncertainty. And I think uncertainty breeds fear. And fear is, is kind of anathema to creativity. A, a, a brain in a, in a fearful state is anticipating danger. And if you seek to be creative, you've got to be in the present moment and you've got to be in quite, um, quite a sort of um, relaxed frame of mind, I think. So I, I think culturally there's a bit of a tension, you know, that the, the economic uncertainty and, and the risk makes people fearful and it's difficult to make good work when you're fearful. Man. Well, I, I would agree. And I think there is a lot of fear that comes from the uncertainty and the shifts. Um, it, it, I think we even have a newsletter that's published by Andrew Rosen called Earthquakes. And it just simply every week helps people understand the shifts and the you know, seismic <laughs> changes, right. as you call them, the tectonic shifts yes. happening yeah. in the industry. Uh, and a lot of that does lead to to fear, uncertainty, um, and if, especially if you're inside of a television network, you're, you're, you're not so much worried about whether or not the next season, the next show launch is great, you're worried whether or not you're gonna have a job tomorrow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, I suppose one of the things about the people that you work with, creative entrepreneurs, are people who by definition have embraced a degree of risk. Um, and have sure. uh, 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 put their necks on the line. And, and, and so perhaps they are, um, you know, um, temperamentally well-placed to, um, to, to, to play in this slightly uncertain um, uh, playing field. Well, it, <clears throat> here's, here's where I would go with that, because I think you're right. They are uh, comfortable with a certain level of risk. They are, in a sense, every creative entrepreneur is comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, but at the same time, I I heard, I heard something recently from an executive at ABC Television that I thought was really interesting, and I thought you might have a a really strong perspective or, or opinion about this, and that is he said, you know, Joel, your clients, these guys and gals that run studios and production companies, um, design agencies, and so forth, they should be great creative leaders, but they're not. And there's a missed opportunity because they're great at so many things. But again, in this person's opinion, he said, I think they're really struggling to be great creative leaders. And I thought, well, I bet Richard would have <laughs> an opinion about that. Wow, uh, that's interesting. Is there, yeah, yeah do, you, do you think that there's a need in the world for creative leadership? 
Yes. <laughs> Would you like me to expand on that? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he well, he he was saying that the the people uh, running the agencies were, were, were correct. Yeah, correct. I think his I think his um, his assertion was that the agency leaders that come to him with whether it's ideas, solutions, what have you, that they really need to step up their game in terms right. of being leaders that are driving great creative and inspiring great creative, not only from their teams, but from their clients. Yeah. And, you know, when I walked through your, your masterclass, the notes yeah. that you shared me about some of the concepts that you teach, I found myself really excited about the idea that there's actually a whole set of best practices around what it means to not only be creative, but how do you lead and inspire creativity? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the way I think about it is it, it, it's a bit like a benign dictatorship. Um, so, um, I think is a, a, a problem in some places. Right, so I, I, see, I, I see issues on either side of a spectrum. I see a bit of a spectrum. Um, I, I think some creative leaders are too democratic. So they um, listen to lots of opinions and they canvas opinions and they are reluctant to take decisive action their own. And, and, and that means that you often end up with work which is of a kind of lowest common denominator because it sort of works for, for everybody. On the other extreme, there are those creative leaders who, who cannot give anything up, who perhaps believe a little bit too much in their own creative abilities and, and are utterly despotic. And I, I think for me, the, the best creative leaders that I've worked with are those who listen to all kinds of opinions and, and evaluate those opinions, but are then prepared to take decisive action. Um, and, you know, um, any, I, I think one of the good things about working outside of them, um, working outside of a, a, a big company and, and running an agency is that you you become quite sharp, you know, because you you have to constantly pitch and pitch yourself, and pitch your agency, and 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 pitch ideas. And, and one thing I learned fairly early on was that as the creative director, people looked to me to call the shots. And sometimes you are not sure whether you're making the right decision, but you have to be decisive. So yeah, I I, I can see um you know there, there there are not that many great creative leaders around but i think um i think it can be um i think it can be taught to a degree well tell me if you've ever been in this situation because i think this is this uh individual at abc one scenario that i'm sure he's lived out and that is if you're a client say at a tv network and i've hired you as the creative director of this brilliant uh agency and I see your creative, I see your ideas, and I say, okay, make the logo bigger, and I don't like red. Sometimes the agency answer is, yes, sir, get right to it. But a true creative leader is not always going to reflexively just do what he's told, that yeah. there's actually a higher calling and a higher purpose. The reason yeah. that you hire an agency, and even the meaning of the word agency, means there's some degree of independence and even sovereignty in the, in the creative. Yeah. So in that situation, what yeah. do you do as a creative leader? Do you just yeah. bend over and do what the client says or? Well, here's how I have, have learned to deal with that situation over the years, which, uh, which does come up. I generally, if they want to make it red, I will say, that's fine. We can make it red. And that, takes any heat out of the out of the situation so okay they're, they're immediately like oh okay i can relax because maybe they were a bit nervous about saying they wanted to make it red because we'd always talked about making it blue so i say it's fine we can make it red but can you tell me why you want me to make it red and if i keep asking why then usually there's a reason and um, why they want to make it red. And, and as soon as I understand that reason, then I may be able to find a better solution to their, you know, the thing that is really bugging them deep down without having to make it red. Uh, now, of course, that doesn't always work. <laughs> you, you just got to make it red. But um, 
I think um, uh, it's, it's easy sometimes when you've worked for a long time on a project you really care about as the creative to just sort of stonewall those those requests but if you um if you go a little bit sort of um uh karate kid on it you know and and bend with the breeze a little bit of judo um then 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 sometimes you can um, you can make it work for both of you um, well i think i think that's a smart um that's a smart approach and i love that uh part of what you're saying there is simply being willing to have a conversation and ask why help me understand your thinking and your reasoning. And I would say good clients are generally receptive to that conversation. Bad clients are the ones who say, no, just shut up and do what I tell you. Uh, and maybe that's a client you need to replace. <laughs> totally. That, yeah. And, and that's the other thing I was going to say. I, I'm sure you found when, when, when you had your agency as, as I had mine, that, that you, you sort of gravitate to clients who are sort of simpatico, don't you? Absolutely. You think, a, a similar way to you do and, and and then when you've got that that's that's the most exciting place to be because you're both you both have the same level of ambition but there's a mutual respect um which is critical i think in a fruitful creative relationship now here's what i think is is really interesting about you is i could sit here and walk through a hundred different scenarios with you and you've either you've lived them <laughs> like i have um you could give me all sorts of tips and techniques and so forth. But what's more interesting is that when I walked through some of the things that you teach in your master classes and so forth, was this notion that they're actually, these are coming from principles that you've recognized the patterns over the years and that you really have sort of a framework for what does it mean to be creative? How do you inspire others to have better ideas? And that's, part of what I'd love to unpack uh, as we continue our conversation here. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think here's what I'll say first off that's kind of interesting. RevThink as a consultancy, we focus on these areas of creative business that we call the seven ingredients. And they're yeah. marketing and sales and production and finance and operations and so forth. One of those ingredients is the creative ingredient. But what's interesting is we rarely touch that area because generally when it comes to a creative agency or a studio, that's almost their secret sauce. That's, right. that's also where the competitive items often reside, where we can't really help one client say in a creative pitch because it might be a, a conflict because one of our other clients is also perhaps pitching the same piece of business. Yeah. But when I went through your content, I was really excited because I thought, wow, here is a framework and set of principles for how to excel as a creative. But I, I want to ask a question to you, because when I think of taking creativity and viewing it as a process or as a method, that there's some sort of a framework or a pattern I know some people are going to say, well, that's the antithesis of creativity, that creativity is just this willy nilly. You can't ever pin it down. It's always uh, new and different and special and shiny and, and so forth. But I think you have a different opinion about that. I do indeed. I think my, my cat is, um, is intrigued by this part of it. <laughs> Bring him in. We're joined by a, a furry black thing. You'll, um, you'll, you'll know what it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I um I can understand that, but I having spent a you know a great deal of time thinking about this and exploring creativity in all different kinds of media, I I think there are certain principles which are universal. And there is something magic about creativity and unpredictable and beautiful and spontaneous and um elusive. And, and all these wonderful things that we we can't um, pin down. But I, I'm absolutely of the opinion that there are things one can do as an individual, as an agency, as an organisation, to get close to that magic happening. Um, and these are the things that I I attempt to teach. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think you know one one thing is that people jump very quickly 
to an evaluative frame of mind. So they have a brief and um, the brief requires them to come up with a creative solution. And as soon as they've got a credible creative solution, they begin to examine it and they go back to the brief. And they don't allow themselves the space to be carefree. And I think that's, um, that's, that's one of the, the first things that I, here's the cat. Um, I, <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, this is uh, Minnie. And um, this is one of the first things that I, I try and teach. So it was a really interesting study done by um, Harvard Business School. And they've done this study a few times. And what they do is they get um, a group of creative professionals together and they, they give them a brief. And then they divide the group into two and they say to one, one half, you're going to be rewarded for the quantity of ideas that you come up with mm. in this brief. And they okay. say to the other half of the group, you're going to be re rewarded for the quality of the ideas that you come up with. Every time that they have done this exercise without fail, it's always the group who've been told that they'll be rewarded for quantity that come up with the best ideas. So I, I think allowing yourself that space to just try and come up with as much stuff as possible and not worry about whether it's any good. And that's, that's the thing. And it is so important to, um, to, to the creative process because you, you're using a different part of your brain. The, the rational evaluative part of your brain is, is, is the prefrontal cortex, the, the thinky part, uh, but the thinky part's no good for, um, for creativity. Well, so if we were going to step back and look at what that study tells us, which I think is a really brilliant example, what's the pattern, right? The pattern is something called iteration is really valuable. There's a principle there that creativity isn't just randomness and that flash of inspiration, that there is at times a process or a, uh, maybe it's creating the right environment yeah. where iteration can happen uh, and taking, taking that step to iterate quickly, rapidly, push past the 10 obvious ideas to get to the five that are hidden and waiting to be discovered. But I think that's a great example because you're right. There is a method of iteration that does tend to create better results. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, a mistake people often make is to assume great artists and great writers and great musicians are suddenly struck by inspiration. You know, the muse suddenly descends and, a, and, a, and a, an incredible novel or album or painting appears. When, when in fact, um, without fail, all the greatest creators really worked hard. And, yes. You know, the, 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 it, it's about those hours that you put in and the time and the space to, to, to keep practicing the, um, you know, whatever um, art form it is that you're working in. Well, I'm, I'm being reminded of one of my favorite authors is Stephen Pressfield. Um, and he wrote a book, I think, called Turning Pro. And it has this idea called, you know, like, Losers are the ones who wait for inspiration to strike. Professionals are the ones who show up and do the work. And there's a certain rigor and discipline to being a great creative. And it does fly in the face of this myth of the lone auteur that's in yeah. his ivory tower and he's waiting for inspiration to strike and boom, he comes down from the tower and he's created the next Mona Lisa or yeah. other yeah. work. And in reality, just doesn't bear that out, does it? No, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I think another, another important thing um, to say in this context is that the most successful creative professionals that I have ever worked with have always done something creative which isn't professional. <laughs> so, <laughs> Give uh, us an example. <laughs> so when I do these workshops, I often ask, you know, uh, I've got a, a room full of creatives. I say, who, who does something outside of work? that is creative and I'm often surprised that only a few hands go up you know um, that makes I, me sad <laughs> yeah it does um, and uh, um, you know I, I think one has to uh, you know it, it, we're all we're all in we, we're in the business of ideas and we want the good ideas to come and there are certain things you can do um, with your time as, as we've alluded to but I think you sort of need to keep your creative soul 
topped up as well by 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 having something going on um, outside of work that 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 has no um, that for which there is no brief. You know, it, it, yes. it, it as I say keeps you um, alive creatively. And I, I think two agencies. You know, when um, I have. I've had my own agencies, but I've worked with some really great agencies. And one thing I've noticed that the best agencies have in common is they've always got side projects going on. You know, they they have they they do whether that's making books or making animations or short films, they do something else beyond just the client briefs. And I think that's such an important part of um, of professional creative life. Well, I'll just second that because I know that uh, the great creatives and creative entrepreneurs that I know. They tend to travel. They tend to be very uh, well connected. They interface with a lot of people and they pursue a lot of ideas. And they do have some sort of a passion outside of, of work. Um, yeah. So I also, and I remember one time a guy that ran marketing at Nat Geo said something interesting to me. And that is, he said, when I start looking at a new agency that I want to potentially work with, I want to see their passion projects and their personal oh. projects as much, if not more, than their portfolio of work, yeah. because it tells me something about what makes these people tick. Yeah, I thought that was a really. I think that's part of what you're saying. Totally, and that, that that's a smart way to uh, yeah to evaluate agencies. I, I I think you know personally and as an agency to have a, a broader creative life. I think is 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 really important. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about how you how you work these days, because we've talked about these meta patterns, if you will, that yeah. creativity, there is a certain method, there is perhaps a framework that one can apply. Yeah. Now, are, are these things teachable? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is part of what you're, you're spending your, uh, your career on. Yeah, yeah. So what does yeah. what does that look like? How does that work? Yeah. So I am, um, you know, about probably about three years ago, I was invited by um, by someone I know to to go in to a TV network and to work half a day a week with their in house design team. And um, my uh, my friend, then client, and um, she she felt that her design team had some great people, but they were underperforming. And she'd not done much stuff with design, so she got me in. And, and, and I felt it would be remiss of me just to sort of turn up um, and chat. So I tried to structure each of our sessions. Um, and each week I, I, I took a different kind of theme um, from, you know, where do ideas come from through to the value of making mistakes. Um, I did a session on photography. And it was really out of doing that that I suddenly realized, wow, I, I, I've actually know, you know, I've learned quite a lot of stuff over the years. Um, and, and, and so my masterclass came about very sort of organically out of that, the, the experience of doing that. And for these sessions, I, I started building up material. And then as I sort of saw things or thought about things or, or read something, I, I would add to it. And, and so I've got this um, six day, program now so that, that's your that's the sort of the full program and um, but i do kind of shorter versions of it as well and i, and I tailor and um, tailor the course to particular clients requirements um yeah that, that's, well, i love that story that's so endearing because i can relate i could tell you a very similar story about oh, my, my journey yeah. of becoming a consultant but it, it is true that the the only surefire way to truly master a subject is to teach it. And when, you, when you're called upon to share your knowledge, your thoughts, it's like every time I speak in public at a conference um, or when I lead a program, an accelerator, as I call them, yeah. there's, this, there's this agonizing process that you have to go through of, well, what do I really think? What do I know? What can I teach? What are the principles? And it forces you to step back and see the patterns and organize them in a way that someone can actually digest them, receive them, and then act on them. So I'm guessing this is what your uh, your masterclass does. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and what, so what I try and do is is, um, is build actual live creative sessions through the course. So we take briefs from the the organisation um, and we work on those um, at sort of 
strategic points during the course so that so the people um, can put into play the principles that that, that I've been sharing. Um, well, it's yeah, funny. I, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to comment. I uh, I just recently. Uh, earlier today did a, a podcast with tim hughes the brief doctor you might know him he's the london-based guy I know him well yeah. yeah and of course all he does is work on on briefs um but another great example of uh that there's i'm sure you know there's a process and and method for how you even begin a project in something like the creative brief yeah, completely. Um, and I, speaking of another Tim, um, your your partner Tim Thompson. I, you know, I listened to Tim's um, stages of a, of a creative career, and I think um, you know, I think when one gets to um, I'm 46 at the moment. Um, uh, when, when you've you've been working in industry for around 20 years, and you've been around the blocks, and you've had some successes and some failures, um, you begin to know some stuff, you know. Um, and it's rewarding to um, to share that with, with people. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Well, especially when you know that the knowledge that you have, if you can somehow convert it so that it can be unleashed and, and help other people. And then of course, I know in your case, we have this similar why that, like you said earlier, after love, I think you said, uh, creativity is the greatest thing that we've got. Yeah, And I'm sure it gives you a lot of satisfaction knowing if I can take everything I've learned and help people become more creative and, and succeed in their careers, then there's a terrific win-win there for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely my aim. So I, I just started my, my own podcast um, uh, which in, in which I interview um, artists and, and designers and writers and, and, and makers about their own process to to sort of demystify it a little bit I sure and, and to sort of reassure people that um that there are highs and lows with everyone you know and I, I, I think you can look on as somebody who who, who who wants to make something at people who are already successful in that it's, genre and, and and think it came easy or you know to not understand how how, how tough it can be and um, it's good to um to, to make um, uh, creative people feel a bit like, um, you know, that we are, um, we're of a similar mindset and, and ultimately we're, we're coming from the same place, you know. Um, we're all in this together, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, because, you know, there, there, there is a lot of division around, isn't there? So um, the more that can be done to bring us together um, around uh, a shared endeavour, uh, uh, the better. And, uh, you know, I think creativity is maybe, um, maybe the best of those. Well, for, for uh, people listening or, uh, or watching, since we are recording a video here too, um, I thought it would be interesting to even just quickly walk through some of the topics that you talk about, because I found just the topics intrigued me and made yeah. me say, gosh, well, what, what would that be like? How can I, how can I learn more of, of that? Because I noticed just your top line subjects were things like, here we go, great ideas and where to find them, right? Yeah, that's that's one of those. Well, I think everyone could could use that one. Uh, <laughs> the art of a beautiful pitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone knows. Well, of course, I could elevate my pitch game, especially the agency people out there, because they spend not only half their lives pitching, but most of their yeah. success, much of their success, is dependent on pitches. And then, how about this one? What is a brand? That one's. I'm sure you're unpacking a lot of. Uh, you're challenging yeah. a lot of assumptions, right? When you do that one. Yeah. Way. Yeah. That, 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 that one sort of changes on a, on a, on a weekly basis, you know, it's, um, uh, uh, yeah, depending on um, uh, what people are saying about Simon Sinek. And, uh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the why. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I see uh, the power of pictures, the power yeah. of words, and then making good ideas great. I think there's one more here. So social and innovation. So there's just great, great topics. Um, this last yeah. one I see here about one show, 100 promos. Yeah. I, thought, I thought, well, gosh, I know it's targeted for people at TV networks that have to promote a show day in, day out. And they're, all they have are clips. So they're doing clip spots and they're, they're yeah. trying to figure out how to do something creative for the 100th time. But I remember when I ran my agency, sometimes we were tasked with doing topicals and these daily promo volume. And we were in the challenging place of, 
okay, they went external for this day in, day, day out promo volume. How are we going to bring value every day? So I would have, I would have loved to take that, that course years ago. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that one's a, a bunch of strategies that you can use um, to come up with a fresh idea for a property that you've worked on a number of times before. So I, I, I have curated and, and collected some, some brilliant examples of um, oblique creative approaches. And, and, oblique. And oblique, yeah. I like that word. Yeah, well, I, yeah it's a good one. I, I use it quite a lot, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, in my, in, in, in my stuff. I, I think... Um, Mo, one, one of the, I wrote an article about this recently. That one of the great things about being a creative in um, the 21st century is that most things have been done already. And this means that codes and conventions have been established for nearly every category of communication. Mm. Interesting. There's a certain way of doing things. And once you understand the codes and conventions, then you can gain great traction by by doing the opposite, or or flying in the face um, of um, of those conventions. Um, so I do um, one of the techniques I teach is is oppositional thinking, and the way that works is it, it's a really quick way of coming of, of sending yourself off in an original creative direction. So, so what you do is you take um, the category that you're working in and you try quite quickly to list the conventions. So if you take, um, if you take a sizzle reel, um, you know that that is normally a dramatic series of quick cuts. You know it's normally got a piece of contemporary music under it. You know it's normally um, you know, like a minute to two minutes long. So you, you, you've got those and you say, right, okay, if I were to do completely the opposite, um, what would I do? So instead of a dramatic series of cuts, what if I do my sizzle reel in one shot? What is the one emblematic shot which encapsulates everything I need to communicate? Instead of it being two minutes, why don't I do it in a second? I'm going to make the quickest sizzle reel that's ever been made. I'm going to have a shot of Every frame, right? and the client's got to slow it down. Or what if I make the longest? So what? My, my sizzle reel is going to go on for twenty-four hours. Right. Right. I'm going to bring a sleeping bag to come and watch my sizzle reel. Or what if it's what if it's not one video? What if it's twenty videos that are each two seconds? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, and what what's quite interesting about this process is the ideas that you come up with are maybe not feasible and maybe are not that great. But you introduce a sort of playfulness and a sense of fun, a, a kind of willful obliqueness, which can lead you into a, a, a really interesting creative direction. Well, you, you make a great point there. Again, this is that, that pattern, that methodology of the, everything's sort of been done before. And if you follow the conventions, you're, of course, going to create more of the convention. Yeah. So what are some of the approaches and methods for breaking those molds so what's the what's the usual response from from a, a client when you teach this idea inside of a network where they're very resistant to change and they're afraid? Do they hear this and think, I'm going to lose my job if I recommend a one second sizzle? Yeah, well, you know, um, clients um, are often reassured by success, <laughs> previous success. And um, there are case studies of um, great advertising case studies where where people have deliberately flown in the face of the conventions of the category and, 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 and been successful commercially. So one of the examples I share is um, Mike Deaver's um, commercial for Halo Top ice cream. I, I don't know. Have you, have you seen this? Um, it's, I, I, uh, I don't know. it. Tell, tell me about it. So, it, it, so when, when you advertise ice cream, generally what you do is you, um, you either talk about the luxurious indulgence of the product, so the, you know, the creaminess and the, the moment to yourself um, that you have as, you, as the ice cream slips down your throat, or you talk about the, the provenance, you talk about the, how happy the cows were that ate the grass in the countryside that makes the cream and the farmer and his tractor. And, uh, Mike Deaver's Halo Top commercial is an elderly woman in a dystopian sci-fi future 
with a robot that's forcing her to eat ice cream. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, um, and the robot says, everyone you love is gone. And I think, I think that's pretty much the only line of dialogue in the, in the commercial. Um, it's, it's, just, it's an incredible piece of work. And I, I, I show this and it sort of blows people's socks off. But Halo Top is, is, is the fastest growing ice cream brand um, in, in, in the US at the moment. And, and is, uh, if you look into the commercial story, it has this extraordinary explosive growth. And, and one of the reasons for that is the, is the confidence um, that they've had in, in the way they've marketed the brand. Well, you reminded me of another story of your uh, of Guinness that I read something in one of your articles about Guinness requires a long pour because it, it otherwise yeah. it develops too large of a head and this is a problem. So yes. let's, when we sell Guinness, let's talk about everything else, but not talk about the problem. And yes. you had this great point of this actually the really successful campaign embraced the fact and somehow celebrated it. Yeah, and I think it can be a, a, a really effective creative strategy can be to try and make the problem the solution. So um, for a long time, Guinness talked about Irishness um, and creaminess and these kind of things. But, but one of the, the, the biggest issues for Guinness was that in a busy bar on a Friday night, if you order a pint of Guinness, your pint of Guinness has got to sit there because they, they have a, a pour, which means that the Guinness has to settle. So it slows everything down. And an unconfident marketing strategy would be one which tried to sort of um, glaze over this as a problem. But about 20 years ago, BBH, I think, were the agency, they decided to, to embrace it. And they made the idea of the campaign to celebrate things that take time. Um, and so... They created a commercial which was all about surfing, and, and, and surfing is, as anybody who's attempted to surf will know, it requires a lot of sitting around in the water waiting for the perfect wave, but when the perfect wave comes, it's, 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 it, it, it's a beautiful thing. So, um, yeah, that, the, that, the strategy of making the problems the solution can often um, be bold and a little bit scary, but one of the most effective. Mm. All right, so I'm curious, because you talked about this approach. I think you called it oppositional thinking. Is that your yeah. term for it? Yeah. So that leads me to ask about this other topic that you is part of your framework, which is mistakes. <laughs> because sometimes oppositional thinking, I'm sure, can can lead you down a path where that you might make mistakes. But I love that you talk about mistakes and that there's some sort of a value in making yeah. mistakes. What what what's the story there? So um uh, I think it's a really good test of the creative ambition of an agency or an, or an organization is to ask them whether they have made some mistakes creatively. Because I think if you want to make really great work, then you have to take risks. And if you take risks and keep on taking risks, sooner or later you will make a mistake. Yes. So I think if you're not making mistakes, then you're not taking enough risks. And if you're not taking enough risks, then creative nirvana or, you know, success or the, the you know, the, the thing that we're all aiming for will, will, will always be forever beyond your reach. Given that mistakes are, by definition, generally an unfortunate and unwanted outcome, how, how do you deal with, um, how do you deal with failure? And um, as I've sort of alluded to, you know, one of the reasons I think I'm able to um, to talk um, as I do about the creative process because I've made my own mistakes. You know, there are, there are things um, that I've done that that haven't worked out. So having the the confidence to to know that you know if you take a risk, you might make a mistake, and um, so long as you're able to dust yourself off, learn from it. Um, and then use that learning to do something better next time is, 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 is really important, I think. Now, let me, let me challenge you to go even deeper because that sounds like a topic that you could speak on, <clears throat> whether it's in a, a corporation, organization, 
uh, maybe even at an agency. And everyone's going to nod and everyone's going to say, yeah, yeah, that's right. If we're not taking risks, then, you know, the, the only way we're going to really know that we're really taking risks is that every now and then we fail. Then when it comes time to take the risk, everyone says, yeah, forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> right? What's the, I mean, I, th I think maybe my thought is, is there a short-term versus long-term equation? Because in the short term, uh, uh, taking a risk is very different than taking a risk that's going to perhaps uh, have consequences for the long term. Like, how do you decide this is an appropriate amount of risk or yeah. um, this, is a, this, this level of failure is acceptable because it will, what it teaches us is going to be more valuable over the long term? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's a good question. It's a good question. And I, I suppose it's about level of risk, isn't it, as you, as you say. And, and anybody, um, anybody who is a creative entrepreneur with employees has a, has a, a duty, I think, um, to, um, to look after those employees and, and, and not sort of, um, you know, bet the house. <laughs> right. Um, of course. Uh, uh, and you probably wouldn't last very long if you did, but 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 maybe this you know this comes back as well to 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 the value of side projects, um, I think, um, to having um, an arena in which you can experiment and um, and do things which which might not um, might not work out. Um, so I, I I think that can be a good arena for mistakes. The other thing I've found is that occasionally. Um, we talked about clients that gravitating towards clients who have a similar mindset to you. And I was lucky um, in both my agencies to, to find clients who I was able to work with over a number of years. And we, um, with those clients, occasionally we push things and we push things a bit too far. <laughs> uh, but because we'd had some really good successes and because there was that, um, that mutual respect and um, we were able if there, if there was an occasional sort of bump in the road or something didn't quite work out as we wanted it to then that was okay you know because we knew each other well enough i certainly wouldn't uh, advocate for um, you know taking a big risk with a with a new client for instance unless um gaining that client was not you know was 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 not essential that it did. well i know a, a couple of thoughts i'm having is that one if you're a creative entrepreneur there is a role of margin and profit. In other words, creating some cushion called yeah. we can afford to take risks because we have a six month runway of cash or these kinds of things. Meaning we can, yeah. we can fail in some small ways uh, that'll make us stronger and better. I yeah. know one, one other unfortunate reality that I've seen play out is, and I'm curious if you've seen this in the UK or in Europe that here in the U S as consolidation in the entertainment industry has happened. There are a lot of big TV network families that did IPOs, and then they're now being monitored by Wall Street. Right. So what happens is their risk tolerance shifts from perhaps a year-long horizon to a quarterly horizon. Yeah. And so what happens is the, the client is never willing to take a risk that won't pay off within 90 days because we have to hit our numbers. And right. it really changes the dynamic yeah. where they're always like, well, if I take this risk and it pays off a year from now, I don't care about that. It has to pay off right now. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a really, um, that's a really tough context. Um, uh, to be working in, uh, I, I I understand that. I mean, I, I think it sort of goes back to what we were saying um, at the beginning of our conversation as well about the, the sort of tectonic plates shifting. And my view on it is that there is a period we're in at the moment, which is very much a transitional phase, where the older players and the older models are still valid to a degree. So um, people are still operating to a degree as they've always done. But I think as we progress and as entertainment op options proliferate, only those who are truly differentiated will succeed. So I, I think those who are, um, who are rigidly adhering to a very short-term view 
are really only delaying the inevitable. Yeah, I would agree. And I appreciate you, you referencing that a lot of what's happening, if you're in a creative industry and you create value in the world by producing creativity, you owe it to yourself to look at those tectonic plates that are moving because they may not affect you today or tomorrow, but next month, certainly next year, they will. And, yeah. uh, you know, a wise person is going to have their eye on those shifts. I mean, clearly in, in our world, especially in the U S the, the yeah. rise of OTT, you know, whether it's Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, Apple, yeah. and the like has been a huge shift. And yeah. for people that have, that are riding that wave, um, it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, other people are just now yeah. waking up and realizing, oh, you mean there's a lot of business to be done in that world, but we've always worked for TV networks. We don't know how to, yeah. to reach out and engage with those people. I always encourage them, well, you're late. You better get on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, my, my, my view on this is that if you, are, if you seek to be a general entertainment brand, then you... Have to, you're going to have to have exceptionally deep pockets. You know? Yes. That's the only way to stay in the sort of middle ground is to, is to have an extraordinarily deep pockets. I, re I read that I think Netflix has got $9 billion um, dollars of long-term debt at the moment. Um, and, and, and then they have, all the, um, they have all, the, all the subscription revenue on top of that. So what this means for us as, as, as sort of creatives and agencies is that and the brands that we work with, given that they've probably not got pockets as deep as Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, or Google, means that these brands are going to have to take a different perspective. They're going to have to have an original, refreshing, and distinctive take on the world. And I, and I think um, we as creative agencies on the branding side, or on the creative side, can help them with that. And, that, and that's, the, that's the sort of challenge, is, is to take the truth of the brand um, uh, and bring that truth to life in, in simple, surprising and, and original ways. And so in that sense, you know, this, this, this arena and the, this newly dynamic arena has a lot of opportunities um, because I think, uh, I think we're very good. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what we do is, 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 is we, we take truths and we provide original takes on those we bring those to life in an original way and and it's going to be a critical skill over the next five ten years well i would agree i think it i, I don't want to sound too pollyanna or or optimistic but you're right it's not that the industry is dissolving or disappearing it's shifting and yeah. right like the consumption of content and story is at an all-time high. Yeah. I'm, think, I'm thinking of the classic uh, book, Who Moved My Cheese, oh. and how yeah. for those that have been stuck uh, receiving the cheese from the usual conventional yeah. uh, networks and providers and so forth, uh, the cheese is moving. It's not that the cheese is gone, it's moved. So you have to go find it. And of course, the people that can tell those stories can find those brands and help them stand out with a distinctive point of view are going to excel over those trying to apply the conventional approaches. Totally, totally. And, and you know, I, I would say it's a sort of inviolable truth that people are, will always want to be entertained by stories and people will always need a little bit of assistance to find the right storyteller for them. I, and, 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 I, and I think that, you know, so the, the value um, of, of branding and creative agencies is, you know, lies in, in helping people navigate this extraordinarily rich landscape that we're, that, that we're enjoying now. So, so uh, you know, our, our skills are perhaps more, um, more necessary than ever. It's just that it can be quite, um, quite a confusing and frightening place to be sometimes. Well, it's amazing to think that if you and I were talking 15 years ago and you told me there's going to be, this is where Netflix is going to be or Amazon. And these are the numbers and these are the viewers. And this is the amount that, of new shows and series. We would have said, 
that's impossible. There's not enough appetite in yeah. the market for that much story and that much yeah. content. But here we are, and it's not, it hasn't run its course yet. Yes, completely. And um, it, it, things will always change. I, I think at the moment, probably we are, and we're reaching a point where viewers, consumers, audiences need some help navigating through this vast proliferation of, of content available on, on, on phones, laptops, and, and tablets. And we're, we're almost going to get into a space where, where we kind of need channels again. We need that level of curation. You know, we need brands who trust, who understand us and who we trust to help us navigate choice, which is of course where, you know, where branding um, came from in the yeah. first. Well, I always loved doing promo work myself because I thought of it as I'm telling a small story about a bigger story that you're interested in. And I'm going to help you find it, connect with it, navigate to it. And I always thought that was something beautiful that, um, yeah. you know, about the, the entertainment space is helping the world connect with the stories they care about. Completely, completely. I, and, you know, and, and a nice thing, I think, um, about uh, working in the, the space of entertainment brands is I, I think entertainment by and large is a good thing, you know, bringing, bringing people together to share and enjoy stories and perhaps to share and enjoy stories which say something about us and who we are and our place in the world it, it is valuable. Um, and it's, we're, you know, we're not selling uh, insurance or, you know, weapons or cigarette or any of these things. You know, we're promoting something which is, which is fundamentally good. So um, I think that's cool. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think that's a, that's a, a beautiful characteristic about what we get to do with this industry is uh, try and make the world a better place ultimately by telling these stories that help us understand what we have in common and appreciate other perspectives and break down some of those differences that you talk about. Yeah. And, and the best, you know, the, I think a really good test of, um, of creative work is, uh, I call it a watch again test. It's where if you've seen it more than once, you're happy to see it a second time. And I, and I think the best creative work, whether that's design or, or advertising, thinking purely in, you know, in, in terms of the sort of agency field at the moment, has its own intrinsic value. Yes, you know, it makes the viewer's life a tiny bit better, not a big bit, but just a tiny bit better for being around because it makes them laugh or it makes them think or it makes them see something they knew in a slightly different way. And I think that has to be the aim for all of us as, as, as creatives, really. And, you know, whether you're working on, on making the story or you're working on making the, you know, the commercial about the, the, the story is to have that kind of intrinsic value. And I've, I've always felt that, um, the entertainment brand should have branding, which is itself entertaining. And I, I think it's a really good, um, good bar to, to set yourself. Yeah, that's a cool standard to say, if you're an entertainment brand, your brand had damn well better be entertaining. <laughs> Completely. I, I, want pe I want everybody who sees my work to be happy to see it more than once. And uh, that's quite a good filter. Um, uh, particularly when you've, you know, when you've got the script on a piece of paper you, <laughs> and you try and work out which one you should take forward. Well, that's a really cool, I think, point for us to, to start wrapping it up. I, I have a couple maybe practical questions of uh, one, I, I have to say, I'm just excited to have this conversation with you. And I'm excited to see if there's opportunities for uh, our, our audience and followers to connect with you. I would love to put you on a platform or a stage or something at some point down the road, because I know creative entrepreneurs need what you have, this approach and methodology, this... Um, framework for how to develop and produce greater creative. So I just wanted to say thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, thank no, you for you. sharing what you've shared and, and for what you do. You're very welcome. And then, you know, I'd be delighted uh, to, to, to join you on the platform. At some point. <laughs> so tell us um, if people want to find out more, if they want to listen to your podcast, uh, can you give us some pointers on how, how to find you? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the easiest way is to go to Richard Holman uh, with one com, And on my website, there is, um, I have an outline of the, the masterclass sessions I do. There are some of the talks that I've given. Um, my podcast is up there. Um, and uh, I, I blog regularly as well. So people can sign up there for 
for, for articles. Um, the podcast is called The Wind Thieved Hat and is um, available um, on all the usual outlets. And is the, uh, the masterclass, is that something that's available to agencies, not just uh, corporations and larger organizations? It, it is indeed. I, it, uh, so far, I've mainly done it with, um, with ed- entertainment brands. I've, I've just begun to go in and work with agencies, and um, you know, I'm very keen to, uh, to do more of that work um, because I'd also be able to draw on some of my own you know, experiences from, uh, from running an agency. So um, Absolutely. Yeah, Are you, you and I will have to uh, talk more about that offline. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but thanks for being uh, on the podcast. It's, it's been a real pleasure, Joel. Thank you very much for asking me. Well, I know uh, I appreciated the uh, the invitation to come visit you in Wales because that's that's on my bucket list. So I've got to get out that way here soon. So maybe I'll I'll come out and have a pint with you, and we'll watch the Guinness slowly settle. You you, you must do that five o'clock on a Friday. Five o'clock club. Sounds perfect. <laughs> Sounds perfect. All right. Thanks again, Richard. You're very welcome. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com.